Turn to the book of Luke first, and then we're going to get to 1 Peter. Today we're going to finish up with just a summary of our study of 1 Peter. But I want to walk through some scenes of Peter's life that I think have great influence on what he uh, eventually writes in 1 Peter. All you blind people up front, I'm going to help you out a little bit. Name me being one of those. You know, for thousands of years, the Jews were waiting for the coming of the Messiah, and there had been so much anticipation. Animal sacrifice after animal sacrifice, festival after festival, all of these things. And it must have been an amazing reality for them, and I think a mind-blowing reality, that when God actually entered the world as a human and people began to interact with him, and particularly in Jesus' ministry. It just must have been absolutely amazing, the transformation uh, that took place. And it is an incredible thought. Our faith is so unique. All the other faiths, the gods stay away, or the gods are made in a shop somewhere out of wood, and eyes are attached to them. Our God is alive. Our God has never had a beginning. He will never have an end. He's the one who holds all things together. And the amazing thing is, is that he came here. He didn't go once man sinned. He didn't say, well, good luck figuring that out. But he sent prophets and he sent men and women who loved God. And he spoke through them and he spoke to them to give them direction. And then ultimately he came and, and think about this just for a moment. I don't know if you think about it at Christmas time. The eternal Son of God was in Mary's body, in her womb. And God was born of flesh in Bethlehem. And this reality gives us the greatest hope, is that God came to do something for us that we could not do and nothing else could be done. He had to come. And you come to the Gospels and Jesus bursts onto the scene. He's baptized by John the Baptist and he begins his ministry. And just that baptism is pretty significant. The Holy Spirit comes as a dove and the Father from heaven speaks and says, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And then Jesus begins to walk and he calls people to himself. He says, Hey, I want you to follow me. And one of those followers... One of the very first ones is the Apostle Peter. So in Luke chapter 5, if you'll look with me there, and I want us to look this morning at some, I think, some unique scenes from Peter's life that help um, bring about some transformation uh, with him. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 is the first I want us to look at this morning. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Genesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which is a really cool thought just for a moment. So they're all over there washing their nets. And Peter just walks up, Jesus just walks up to a boat that doesn't belong to him. And he gets in and he calls these guys who are washing and been out fishing. Hey, I'm getting in your boat. Can we put it out a little bit? So getting into one of the boats, verse 3 says, which was Simon's. He asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Peter, Simon, must have been very close. He said, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have toiled all night and took nothing. But watch what Peter says. He's just listened to all this teaching from his boat. But at your word, I will let down the nets. 
And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. Now just look up here just for a moment. So here, Jesus has been teaching all day. Peter is listening to this. It's in his boat. He is incredibly moved. Hey, I want you to put out. Let's go fishing. Master, we have, we have toiled all night, but there's already this work in Peter's heart. He says, but because you have asked it at your word, okay, let's go out. So they go out, and they're out there. So much, Peter's boat catches fish. They holler at the others, James and John. Hey, come over. So much fish that both boats now, and it says this, they are beginning to sink. If you're in a boat in the middle of the lake where you cannot s- swim, what, or it, way over your head, or if you can swim, what would you do? Well, Peter is not panicking over the moment of, I've got to save my life. He is overwhelmed in the moment. And his response is to fall at the knees of Jesus as the boats are sinking. And to say, Lord, I am a sinful man. Depart from me. And these, this is the first encounter that Peter has with the spoken word of Jesus. And it begins this transformation that begins to take place in his life. Go now to Matthew chapter 8. We're going to look at several places there. Matthew chapter 8. I don't know when you read the Gospels if you wish. Sometimes you kind of be transported back. And just be there in some of these moments. This one must have been an incredible moment. So Peter's at his house. And this happens. Matthew chapter 8. And where we went? Verse 14. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, Jesus saw his mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, lying sick with a fever. And Jesus touched her hand and the fever left her. And she rose and began to serve him. And that evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what the pro- was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses, and he bore our diseases. Now just think about this. So he's in the boat. Jesus teaches all day. Hey, put out, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll put out the boat because you've asked me to. Your word has done so. He's blown away. He confesses a sin a little bit later. So here he is, and they're at his house. Mother-in-law gets healed all night long. Can you imagine what it must have been like for Jesus to speak and cast out demons? And over and over and over, they just behold this incredible moment of when Jesus speaks, the demonic have to obey. And not only that, but they bring sick from everywhere and Jesus touches the people and he brings this incredible healing. So another transformation of the speaking and the power of Jesus takes place in Peter's life. Go to Matthew chapter 14 now and let's see this next story about the speaking of Jesus and the word of Jesus to Peter. And we see it in the power of faith. I wish I could do this. I, I don't, I, I'm not a swimmer. But wouldn't it be awesome to walk on water? That would be pretty amazing to be able to walk on water. So Matthew 14, 22 says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat. John the Baptist has just been beheaded. He goes up on the mountain to pray. He sends the disciples ahead of him to go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. 
And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was by this time a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Do not miss verse 27. So they're freaking out. Lightning, waves, splashing in. Somebody's walking on the water. Never seen this before. This has to be a ghost. This is a spirit. This is not reality. This is not it. But then Jesus speaks into the midst of the storm. He speaks in the midst of their not understanding the setting. And he speaks and says, hey, don't worry about it. Do you see that I'm on the water? I have the power to command the waves to uphold me. So don't fear. It's me. And Peter looks in the boat. He's like, okay, I can stay with all these knuckleheads here. Or I can get out of the boat. And I can go to the one who has the power to command the waves to uphold him. And so Peter says, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come to you. Look at the transformation taking in Peter's life. He doesn't want to take a step unless Jesus speaks. So he says, Lord, can I come to you? And Jesus speaks and says, come. And Jesus, Peter, steps out of the water. And it says in the text there, so Peter got out of the boat And he walked on the water, and I love what it says there, and he came to Jesus. Mark Verlander's right there. It wasn't like he kind of walked out there and he was kind of in and around, but he literally walked to where Jesus was. He came to Jesus. And he got to Jesus, and Jesus had told him to come. And instead of continuing to have faith in Jesus, the Bible tells us that he looked around and he thought to himself, I can't do this. And he noticed all the stuff around him, and he sank. And he's right beside Jesus, and he hollers up at Jesus and says, Lord, save me. And Jesus saves him and brings him out. There's this continue of unfolding of the word and speaking in Peter's life that is really powerful. Go to chapter 16 of Matthew now. They're in Caesarea Philippi, this great conversation, probably at a campfire one night. 1613. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you, who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now watch this. All of this unfolding of the teaching and the commands of Jesus, Peter embracing when Jesus speaks and his life being transformed by it. So now they're here and Jesus says, who do people say that I am? And Peter says some of the greatest words you can say, you are the Christ. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the anointed one. You are it. You are the Son of God. And then Jesus says these words. Listen, I want to tell you something. And here's what I want to tell you. 
You didn't come up with this on your own, but there is a God in heaven, a Father in heaven, and He is so awesome that He has allowed your mind and your eyes to comprehend the reality that I am the Son of God. And so He tells Peter, this revelation has come to you, not because you're special, Peter, but because the Father has done this in your life. And for all of us, it's still the same way. We need the revelation of God as we read God's Word so that we can understand who Jesus is. And so here's another instance where Jesus speaks and and the Father speaks and reveals to Peter the greatness of who Christ is. Now, just a little bit later, before we pat Peter too much on the back, um, we have been acquainted with Peter. And look at verse 21 of chapter 16. Okay, wait, look up here. The first service flunked a question I'm about to ask you. You better not flunk this. Are y'all listening to me? You can't cheat, Donahoe, you've already heard this, okay? From that time, look at 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples, look at that, began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. Now look up here, where did he show them that all of this was going to take place? Okay, come on, y'all, y'all can't flunk this. Where do you think he showed them? Hello, say it out loud. The scriptures. I find this incredibly fascinating. Jesus, the Son of God, the living Word of God, could have said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, this is what it's like. But he takes his closest followers, and he must have had a scroll somehow, and he shows them in the written word that I'm going to Jerusalem and this is what is going to happen. So he shows them. He doesn't just tell them, but he points to specific texts and say, this is what is going to happen and take place. And so he shows them, this is what's going to happen. Um, I'm going to suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, I'm going to be raised. And Peter didn't like God's word and he didn't like the plan. And so verse 22 says, Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him where he had fallen at his knees before. Now he says, far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And you don't want these words said to you. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. One of the things we can really struggle with that Peter struggles with in this moment is um, I've got an idea of what I want Jesus to do and what I want Jesus to be. And if he doesn't fulfill that, then I need to have a little talk with Jesus. And we're going to kind of straighten out things because me, human being, perfect, sovereign, can tell him what he needs to do because he needs some help. And so Peter in that moment just thinks, I'm going to rebuke him. And Jesus says, no, that's Satan's kind of thinking. That's man's kind of thinking, and it doesn't glorify me. I came to die. I came to die. Now go to Matthew chapter 26. A couple more. Matthew 26. Go all the way to verse 69. Big chapter, Matthew 26 is. And then... There's this speaking of self-preservation that Peter has here that I think had a profound influence upon his life. Matthew 26, 69. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard and a servant girl came up to him and said, you are also with Jesus the Galilean. But he denied it before them, saying, I don't know what you mean. And when he went out 
to the entrance, another servant girl saw him, and she said to the bystanders, This man was with Jesus of Nazareth, and he denied it with an oath. I do not know the man. And after a little while, the bystanders came up and said to Peter, Certainly you too are one of them, for your accent betrays you. And look what Peter's response is, self-preservation here. Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed, and immediately the saying of Jesus, the speaking of Jesus, the word of Jesus, Jesus knew what was coming. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out, and he wept bitterly. You know, sometimes we're just very bold in how strong we are, and we just don't realize that we're really actually weak. And we must always be humble. We must always submit ourselves that Jesus had told him this was coming. And even though he had told him this was coming, Peter just walked right into it because his flesh was weak. But as God always does, what does he do with us? Does he just leave us there in the midst of our brokenness? No. He's a God of restoration. He's a God of reconciliation. So go to John chapter 21. Let's look at one of the last encounters that Peter literally has with Jesus. And this is one with the resurrected Christ. John 21, verse 15. So he told him, go to Galilee. I'm going to meet you there. They get there, and Peter's like, when's he going to show up? And so they go fishing one day. They're out in the boat, and they're out in the boat, and uh, Jesus kind of shows up. Look at verse 9 of John 21. When they got on the land, they saw it. Well, actually, let's go up. Go to, go to verse 4. So just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yeah, the disciples did not know it was Jesus. So he said to them, children, have you have any fish? And they answered, no. And he said to them, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in. Sound familiar? Because of the quantity of the fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved, who believes John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. Thank you, Peter, as you swam to shore. We had to do all the work out here. For they were not far from the land, about 100 yards off. So think about that. He swims 100 yards. Have you ever been that desperate for Christ in your life? We're just, I'm just going to jump in, and I don't care of the distance. It's not natural, 100 yards out. And i got to get to where he is. Well, they get there, and look what happens. There's a conversation. Look at verse 15. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Most likely this is a reference to the boats. He's pointing to the boat. Do you love me more than your occupation? Are you going to go back to that or are you going to do what I have told you to do? Do you love me more than And so he says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Look at 16. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then tend my sheep. And he said to them a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then you feed my sheep. And truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death Peter would glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said, follow me. I, amazing. Hey, listen, 
you're going you're gonna to get to grow old, Peter. But at the end of it, this is what's going to happen. One day, you're not going to get to dress yourself. The last day of your life, somebody's going to dress you, and they're going to take you to a place, and you're going to die because you loved me. But I want you to know, Peter, that in your death, you're going to glorify me. I'm going to get great honor. And so Peter was going to glorify him. And then Jesus said these words, again, speaking of Jesus. That's what's, hap- that's what's coming for you, Peter. It's not going to be great riches. It's not going to be retirement on the Mediterranean coast. You're going to die. Follow me. Follow me. And boy, did he follow Acts chapter 2, they're waiting in the upper room. The Holy Spirit comes. The believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. They step out in the streets, and everybody that's in their upper room is speaking foreign languages, proclaiming the gospel in these languages. People are hearing it. At the end of the day, Peter has this long sermon. Guess what Peter quotes in the sermon? Does he make up the sermon on his own? No, he quotes Old Testament Scripture, proclaiming things that I think the Spirit probably was revealing in the moment but also things that Jesus had been teaching them. And he preaches on the day of Pentecost and thousands come to faith. And I think if we could ask Peter to come into the room today, if he could leave the glory of heaven and step in here today, and we were to ask him, hey, you wrote this letter to these group of believers in these five different places. Of of those five chapters, what would you say to LifePoint today? What what would you say, LifePoint... You need to listen to this. You need to embrace this. This is what I would say to you. So I'm speaking on Peter's behalf today. He doesn't get to be here, so I'm going to speak on his behalf. And I think Peter would say, I, I think you ought to go to 1 Peter chapter 2, even though I didn't write a chapter 2. That came later. And I want you to go to chapter 2, verse 2, and verse 3. So I want you to turn there, 1 Peter. And I will point out a few things before we walk through this. 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 2, the power of Jesus' words have this amazing, transforming reality in the life of Peter. He spent the rest of his days proclaiming it, preaching it, and calling others to embrace it. So look at verse 2. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. I want to I take just for a moment and I want to point out a few things here and then we're going to kind of go all the way through First Peter. Don't get up. Dylan, it's going to be really good. Dylan, <laughs> Dylan. <laughs> hey, when you come back, I want you to run, okay? All right, all right. So, like newborn infants. Now, Peter's not saying, y'all are a bunch of babies. Here's what he's saying. He is saying this. He's saying, listen, at 2.39 a.m. in the middle of the night, when a baby's hungry, what does a baby do? Cries out for what? Milk. I need something in here. So, Peter describes this desperate desire that believers are to have. And the desperate desire that believers are to have is this desire for the Word of God 
any moment of any day and to cry out for it, to crave it. And so, so Peter says, listen, like newborn infants who have this desire that when they are hungry, they want everybody to know I'm hungry. I have Christians have that kind of characteristic like a newborn has, longing for the truth of God's Word. And it's that kind of craving like a baby has where once it's satisfied in one moment, it could be 30 minutes later and the baby's like, more, more. And that's the idea of what Peter's saying here. You long for the truth of God's Word like a newborn infant does, that there is to be this insatiable desire for more. And there's not any amount of the words to kind of calm that, but there's a craving for it that just dominates our lives. And I found this to be true in my life, and you probably have as well. That when I desire the things of the world, I am very distracted. But when I delight or I desire the Word, I find that there's a delight in the Word and a delight in my relationship with Christ. If I long for the things of the world, I'm very distracted. But when I desire God and I desire knowing Him through the Word, there is a delight that comes with that reality. So there's a call, Peter says, to retain the simple, innocent cravings like a newborn has, that even as we mature in the faith, that there's a longing for God's Word that dominates us. And now the way to do that is, is a diet. So he says, like newborn infants, long, desire, crave, like they do, the pure spiritual milk. Now, I really want to stress this, and I stress it all the time, so here's my broken record. We are to read God's Word more than we listen to sermons. We are to read God's Word more than we listen to Christian music. We are to read God's Word more than blog, Christian blog posts. We are to read God's Word. That is the pure spiritual milk. Listen to sermons. Read good blog posts. Read good Christian books. Read great Christian biographies. Never substitute those things for the Word of God. Peter says, like newborn infants who just crave the truth of God's Word, you be like them, maintain that characteristic, but you long for the pure spiritual milk. It's why we hear at the church, why we hear, it's why we, uh, Mike Boo, you liked that, didn't you? Yeah, he's like, he's a transcriber, and he's like, man, yeah, sometimes my sentence structure is not real good. <clears throat> we are to long for the pure spiritual milk. We don't want to add anything to it. We do not want to take away from it. So we walk verse by verse talking about not what my opinion is of this, not what John MacArthur's opinion is or any other person that is out there. We want to see what did God originally say through the inspiration of the Spirit as the text was written. So we want to look at those things and see what's there. And so Peter says, you long for the pure spiritual milk. Let me tell you about this word pure, this, this word pure spiritual. The Greeks originally, when they wrote this word spiritual, it, it was a word that they used to talk about the divine order of the universe, that there was a priority, there was a divine order that was the most logical thing that you could do. And it was connected, they used it to, to say there was a divine order, but they didn't use it to talk about our God or Jesus. But Peter uses it here, and Paul uses it in Romans chapter 12. And here's what it means. When Peter says 
the pure spiritual mind. Hi, Dylan. Come on, Dylan. I, I, I had to call you out, Dylan. There he is. Run. Come on, run, run, run. Okay, all right. All right. <clears throat> the pure spiritual milk means this. The most logical, divine, holy thing that you and I can practice in our life is the putting of God's Word into our lives. It's the most logical, reasonable thing to do. When Paul says this is your reasonable spiritual act of service in Romans chapter 12, he's saying the same thing. For a believer, the most sensible thing for a believer to do is to walk in the truth of God's Word. The word pure in this as well means nothing mixed with it, nothing added to it. So the emphasis here is this. The most straightforward, powerful, freeing, hopeful, compelling, and wisest way to live in the world is knowing the Scripture. For it is the absolute nourishment of the soul and altogether good to take into our lives. Why? Why insatiable craving for God's Word? Why should you and I have a desire, a diet of pure spiritual milk is because there's a desired outcome. And the desired outcome is this, that you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. God's call is for us to grow up into maturity. That there would be a maturing that takes place in our lives. So the desired outcome is that you and I would long for God's word in such a way that it brings a maturity. You know, you and I... <clears throat> I'm going to make a confession this morning. I put some pants on in my closet that fit about four months ago that did not fit this morning. And when I've been looking at myself in the mirror, I don't think I've gained any weight. My pants this morning said a whole nother story. And so uh, I have some work to do. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes we look at ourselves in the mirror and we can fool ourselves. Oh, man, nothing's changed. Well, something has changed. You and I will never neglect food for a week. Man, we're our, some of us are already going, man, when's he done? Football and food today. We will never neglect physical food, and yet it is amazing that believers will go a week or two weeks or three weeks or a month and not eat spiritual food and wonder, Where's God? I kind of don't sense God. I'm kind of not alive. I'm not a real passion. I'm not real into worship. And the reason is, is we're just dry. And we're hungry and we're starving. And the only way to grow to maturity is the diet of pure spiritual milk and knowing the truth of God's Word. And so God, I think, well, not back up. I think if Peter were to come today, I think that Peter would say to us, listen, you have got to long for the pure spiritual milk. It's got to be the passion of your heart. And I want you to go back to chapter 1 of 1 Peter. And I want you to go back with me about 2,000 years ago. You were in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and a letter came to you from the Apostle Peter. must have been amazing for that to come from their friend and fellow elder and fellow believer. It must have been amazing, and it must have sounded something like this as it was read. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, 
according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with His blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable and fading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found a result in praise and honor and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you do not see him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation... The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you and the things which have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And as obedient children, as obedient children, conduct your... Conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you are ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in these last days for the sake of you who are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope, they are in God. And having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of the grass. You see, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all slander, all malice. So put away all malice and all deceit and slander. And in, in, excuse me, let me get it here. I got it confused. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices to God acceptable through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, 
Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And and beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak of you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, who do evil or to praise those who do good. And this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, but not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor Emperor Nero. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, and you suffer, you endure? But this, listen to what he says. Listen to what he says here. He says, listen, but what credit is it if, when you sin and suffer for it, and you're beaten for it and you suffer, what credit is it if, to you, but this is a gracious thing, he says. When you do good and you suffer for it, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this, he says, you have been called. For to this, you have been called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like straying sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be merely external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, 
calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do what is good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel since they are heirs with you of the grace of life for the sake of your prayers. They may not be hindered. And then he says, finally, all of you, not finally, but finally, all of you in this section, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you have been called. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to the prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. So have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, and having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And listen to this. Here's why. Here's the perspective. For Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Because formerly they did not obey when God's patience waited during the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which now corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an, as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of the Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Because angels, authorities, and powers have been subjected to him. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh... Arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin so as to live for the rest of the time, no longer for the passions of the flesh, but for the will of God. For the time that has passed suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and orgies and drinking parties and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join with them in the same flood of debauchery. And this is why the gospel was even preached to those who are dead, that though judged in the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. The end of things, of all things, is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded. And above all, love one another, for love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. 
For whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves in the strength God supplies in order that in everything God might be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal when it comes upon you to test you as if something strange were happening to you. Don't do that, he says. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Therefore, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who reject the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Tragic words that Peter writes there. And so he says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders and clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that at the proper time God may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. You know why? Because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered for a little while, listen to this church. And after you have suffered for a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ... He will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. And to him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, as I regard him, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Stand firm in it. She who is at Babylon, who is likewise chosen, sends her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love and peace to all of you.
who are in Christ. Can you imagine what it would have been like to just hear that the very first day as that came into the church and you're under persecution? I want to close with a picture. I want to give us a picture of what I've experienced since January. I've been memorizing this um, all along as we've been walking through this. And, and there's moments during the week where Scripture just pops into my head because it's what I've been putting in there. And uh, I've been waiting to do this illustration until this morning. i got a bunch of ping pong balls here. That's not a ping pong ball. I don't know how that got in there, but anyway... These ping pong balls represent things of our life. Here's us, just empty vessel at some point in time. And there's all kinds of things we pour into our life and kind of allow to come in. Some of it's parenting stuff. Some of it anxiety things. Um, sometimes it's depression. Sometimes it's um, my spouse is this. Um, if I could just have more money. And we just began, we just began to pour stuff in. Or maybe we've got four or five things that we're struggling with. And over time, we just, with all these things, we, we're believers, but we fill our lives up with all these little things, and it just kind of crowds out everything. And after a while, this is kind of what we look like. We're just filled with stuff that's connected to earth here, and we wonder, God, I, just, I, don't, I don't sense you, and you're just not there. And sometimes it's, we even come to church, and we get filled up a little bit, but all those things just kind of stay there. And there's not much change. We're just there and, and we're just, you know, it kind of tastes good. We kind of get wet on the inside and, and you know, there, there's, 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 you know, something kind of going on. And, but, there's, but there's just a lot of stuff that's still an issue for us. And what Peter would say to us this morning is this. You fill your life with God's Word. And you fill your life with God's Word because when you do and you fill up with the living water, it begins to push out all the stuff that you thought was a really big deal and it's not really a big deal. It just goes and you fill yourself up. You can have that, John. Sometimes some things kind of linger around but what do you do? You just continue to fill your life up and they will wash out. Now I want you to see this. Some of those things come back, don't they? But watch what happens. They try to get to the bottom of our life and they can't. They just stay at the top. And they just remain at the surface. And the reason I think some of us continue to struggle with the same things over and over again is we don't keep ourselves filled up. And until we get to heaven, some of this stuff is going to be around our lives. But we want to keep it at the surface. We don't want it to be just down at the bottom. And the more we fill ourselves up, the more those things disappear. And that's what we ought to look like. The most critical thing we can do in our life is to fill our lives with God's Word. And those things just don't have a power anymore. We have the right perspective.
So as we close today, that's what I just wanted to call us to, is to call us to fill our lives with the living water. Isn't that a beautiful picture? It's a beautiful picture of what it ought to look like in our lives. Let's pray.